Well, we're gonna well we're gonna fix a booster to where it cover the whole building. Yeah. Okay. Colossians chapter one, verse twelve. Also, if you pass by going to Colossians, Luke chapter twelve, you can stop there for a moment. But we want to go to Colossians chapter one first. We've been talking for the last three Sundays. We're going to continue today about the kingdom. We talk about the kingdom. We're talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of His dear Son. All of them are the same. And so we're talking about the kingdom and how that the kingdom is not just some place that we're going to go to heaven to one day, but that king, the kingdom of God functions, the kingdom of heaven functions even now in the lives of Christian people. So in Colossians chapter 1, it says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet, are worthy to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath, has already delivered us from the power of darkness and has already translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Now, getting into the kingdom is not something that's going to happen one day when uh, Jesus comes back, the rapture takes place, when the end of time on this earth, so with every, whatever term you want to put on it. The kingdom that we're in is now. Now, we will go to heaven. We will be with Him eternally in His abode. But now the kingdom of heaven is with us. And so He has, he has already translated us, moved us from the kingdom of darkness, the power of darkness, and has already translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. I like that translating kind of thing because that's sort of like modern technology, isn't it? To where that all of a sudden you get translated from one place to the other. And when I made Jesus Lord of my life, that's just how quick it happened. Only thing is it's taken me years to understand that, what took place. And uh, But we're already here. Now, let's go in, in Luke chapter 12. And Luke chapter 12 runs a line with Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus is talking about the things that we need in this life. And he tells us, don't worry about all of this stuff, you know, because everything in life, what you eat, what you wear, what you drink, what you put on, that's what, like what you wear, isn't it? But where you sleep. All of these things, and he says that all of these things do the nations of the world seek after. But in verse 31 of Luke 12, he says, But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, I was thinking about that just this morning. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Here He says, Rather, seek ye the kingdom of God. Now, which one's right? Well, they both are. Because if we're looking to Him, seeking the kingdom of God is the first thing that we're going to do in every situation. That ought to be our first place we go to. What they call it, our first line of defense. Our first opportunity. Instead of anything else. So he's saying it here, and I believe he's implying it to us, that instead of seeking after things like the world does, rather than that, 
Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all of these things shall be added unto you. And the next verse is, is a tremendous promise. Listen to what he says. He says, And fear not, little flock. Now he's talking to his disciples at that time. He's talking to us today. What we need to understand is the Word of God is as relevant today as it was then. The words that Jesus spoke today are as as relevant and important as it was in the day that he spoke it. And in that day, he said, fear not, little flock. Well, we can look around here this morning and we're a little flock. He's talking about the whole body of Christ, but he's specifically right now talking about the believers that are gathered together at Victory Fellowship. Specifically right now. Overall, he's speaking to the whole body. Now, I'm not trying to say that we are the select ones. Of course, you know, denomination, church, and all gets that kind of a uh, thing to where that people say, boy, they think they're all they are. You know, they think they're the only ones out there. Well, we don't. But can I tell you this? This morning, right now, we're the only little flock in this building. Okay? Wherever you go, people that are Christians are part of the little flock. But this morning, he's speaking to us right here. And he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, I found out through studying the Word and in my own personal experience, anything that's a pleasure to God, God loves to do it. Right? I mean, if He didn't love to do it, it wouldn't be a pleasure. So here, it's not only a pleasure, but it's a good pleasure. It's a good pleasure for Him to give us the things that we need in this life. It's it's His good pleasure to give us everything we need spiritually, mentally, financially, socially. It's His good pleasure. And the reason that it is, and and that's the reason James, through the Spirit of God, could write in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Every good and perfect. Why? Because it's His good pleasure to bless His children. God, God, it does not take delight, and you can read this all through the Bible, God does not take delight in the punishment of the wicked. God does not take delight in the death of the wicked. But God is pleased to honor and to bless His children. He's pleased to give us good things. He's pleased to help us and to be with us. So it's His Father's goodwill to give us the kingdom. Now last week we talked about how that there's, there's keys or laws that govern the kingdom functioning. And, and, it, and is it being God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom? There's ways that I need, now that I'm in the kingdom, here's some ways I need to be living. I don't need to go out and tell people, hey, I'm in, I'm in America, but then live like I'm in China. Well, this is land of the free. You can live like you want to here. Well, <clears throat> I won't get political. I'll just move right on with this. Right. We'll stay, stay in line. But, but I, why should I say that I'm in the kingdom of God and then go out of here, out of this church, and especially tomorrow, start living like I'm not in the kingdom? Hey, we have kingdom motives. We have kingdom a kingdom life. We have kingdom initiatives in our life, and that is to glorify God in everything that we do. So I want to live according to the laws, the laws that work, that I can see the blessings of the kingdom continue to come to me. Now, remember the very first day I told you that the kingdom of God is not a welfare state. You don't get in the kingdom, kick back, and say, well, I got it made. No. There's things expected of us. 
See, he said, he said this, I didn't put this scripture up, so I want to try to just quote it to you. He said in Ephesians chapter 2 that we're saved by grace. Saved by faith through grace. Grace through faith. We're saved. And he said that we are that we were saved by grace for good works. Do you know there's a work of grace? And I'm not talking about just salvation, but there's things that we do because we're in grace. Let me tell you something, folks. I don't I'm not trying to do things to get in the kingdom of God. I'm not trying to do things to stay in the kingdom of God. I'm doing things because I'm in the kingdom of God. You see all the difference that makes? I'm not trying to get in, not trying to stay in. I'm doing, I, I do the things I do because I'm in the kingdom. Now, last week we talked about that the first one of those keys or the law that governs in the kingdom of God is the law of love. The law of love, it says that, is, that, that we're to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind and strength. And then he said, the second one is like and unto this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So as we think about this, this key of love, Matthew chapter 22, they came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? And he told them what I just said to you. But then in verse 40 of Matthew 22, he says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Well, that's this whole thing. On these two things, love God and love my neighbors myself, and to walk in that way. But let me tell you something. In the kingdom, now here, here's something that you need to get a hold of. In the kingdom, we're called to a higher level of love than just to love thy neighbors thyself. Now, we talked last week about loving God with all that we have, and I don't know any way that we can improve on that and to know that nothing separates us from the love of God, that nothing needs to separate God from my love. So now we want to deal with the neighbor part of this thing, okay? You see, and here he said in Matthew twenty-two forty, on these two things, loving God, loving your neighbor, hang all the law and the prophets. These two things right here. But Jesus, as I said, he's called us to a higher level of love in the kingdom. What is that level of love he's called us to? Well, it's namely this, and it's found in John chapter thirteen. Verses 34 and 35. This says that you're to love one another as I have loved you. See, now, well, let's read. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Now, if all you want to do is be a disciple of the law, then just love your neighbors yourself. But if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, we're to love each other the same way that he loved us. And here's what's so good about that. This higher level of love that he's called us to is actually easier than just love your neighbors yourself. Why? Because it takes self out of the way and puts it all in him. That's one problem we have. We look at ourselves so much. And so we, we want to... Uh, you know, people say, well, I love my neighbors myself, but here's another thing. I, I hate my neighbors myself. So a lot of folks don't like their self. There's times that I have to make sure I'm not hating me. You ever do that? You ever look at yourself in the mirror and say, you're soft. Man, you just missed it. 
Now, I've never looked at myself in the mirror and said, I hate you. I'm afraid the mirror might come alive and hit me, so I don't want to do that. (laughs) Sometimes, to love thy neighbor as thyself, we want to add to that. Well, if it ain't right, I would. Right? I mean, don't we get that way? I mean, let's face it. If somebody were to walk in this room right now and say, hey, I'm a member of ISIS, how many of us would say, hmm? But Jesus said, now, you can be a disciple of the law by just loving your neighbors yourself because who is my neighbor? That was the next question they asked him in another part of this. Who is my neighbor? And, and when we think about it that way, it seems like it leaves it out that there's some I love and some I don't have to because they're not my neighbor. If I don't count you as my neighbor under the law, then I don't have to love you. Right? And you see, we see that a whole lot in the body of Christ because we don't believe the same thing all the time. We don't act the same way. I don't care about going down there. That's the old dead church down there at Victor Fellowship, man. They don't know nothing about shouting and all of that running around. and They don't even have any chandeliers to swing from. They, they, ain't nothing, they, they ain't nothing. And so what we're doing, you know, somebody feels that way about us, they're proclaiming the fact they don't love us. And here's another thing. If we start saying that thing about somebody else, it shows that we don't love them. They're not my neighbor. Those folks over at the Baptist church, they don't do like we do, so they're not my neighbor. That fellow that lives across the street over there, man, he's just, he's terrible. He's just terrible, awful neighbor, but, so he's not my neighbor, I don't have to love him. You see, that's, that's what happens, and that's what was happening in that day. But then Jesus said here in John chapter 13, as I have loved you, Love one another. Now, you can be a disciple of the law and just love your neighbors yourself and decide who your neighbor is. Or you can, you can be a disciple of Jesus and love one another as He has loved us. Now, this is the choice that we have to make. Really, it shouldn't be a choice for anybody that professes to be a child of God. But we let it be a choice sometimes. Matthew chapter 15. I mean, I'm sorry, John chapter 15. Boy, it made Bo get nervous there for a minute. <laughs> He's a good one, though. John chapter 15, verse 9, he says, As the Father hath loved me, so, how, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be fulfilled. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You know what makes us have the joy? One thing that makes us have the joy of the Lord in our life like we need to is the fact that we have settled in on this. I love one another because He loved me. And I want to endeavor to love other people in relation to the way that Christ has loved me. No no questions asked. And you see, one thing about you don't have to do anything and you can't do anything to earn the love of Christ. Do you know this? Even today, if you were to totally reject Him and walk away from Him, turn your back on Him, say all kind of ugly, mean things about Him, 
you'd still love you. Wouldn't it? He'd still love you. He'd care for you. See, this is the mark of our relationship with Christ. We don't want to exclude any, but we want to love each one. Why? Because He loves us. Because He loves me and put that... And here's the thing about it. The book of Romans says that the love of God is shed abroad into and out from my heart and life by the Holy Ghost. People run around here all over the world claiming Holy Ghost, Pentecostal kind of experience, and just you can just see it in them. They just, man, they, they love their neighbors, their self. And they decide who their neighbor is. Hey, listen, if we profess that the Holy Ghost lives in us, the love of God's there. The same love that Jesus loved us with is there. Not only the same love that Jesus loved us with is in us, but the same love that God loves Jesus with, He loves us the same way. You read that on over in in John chapter 17. And He says that. He talks about how that the Father has loved Him, that that He loves us. And so we're, we're all in this together. And folks, if we want to see our love life work, then we're going to have to begin to love as Jesus loved us. One of the, one of the key elements that we have to deal with here, and, <clears throat> and I'm not trying to go to meddling, okay, but this is something that we all need to hear. One of the chief elements of love is forgiveness. To you, what characterizes the love of Jesus more than anything else? That He completely forgave me, right? That he took all of that old ugly that I was, sin I'm talking about, and cast it away and forgave me of all of that. Now, if I'm going to love like he loved me, then I need to set myself to forgive in relation to the way that he's forgiven me. Would you agree to that? See, forgiveness means to let go and cease to feel resentment against someone. Just let it go. But I can't do that. You don't know how bad it hurt me. Uh, next time you're sitting back in your room or driving down the road by yourself, turn the radio off, get quiet, and then just begin to think about all the ways that you hurt God. All the times that through your actions and your not speaking that you've denied Jesus, the group that you end up flocking with, the places you go and things of that nature. And then don't stand around and say, you just don't know how bad they've hurt me. Man rejected him totally. And all the wrath and hatred that man could muster up and come up with, they displayed it towards Christ that day when he hung on the cross. And in the midst midst of all of that hatred, he prayed, Father, forgive me. Wow. All the love that heaven had came down and met all the hatred that man had and love won out. Mm. Means to let it go. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. We'll move on here. See, Jesus in teaching us to pray taught us to pray for forgiveness. Not only to pray for forgiveness, but forgive others when we pray. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12 We'll break right into the middle of this prayer. And you, you know it, you should know it. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us, verse 12 says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I want you to notice the next two verses, 14 and 15. He ended the prayer and said, Amen. Done. Amen. So be it. We're through praying now. And he said, Now then, I want to tell you something. And as you look at this, he didn't go back and talk about the kingdom coming. He didn't go back and talk about give us our daily bread. He didn't go back and talk about deliver us from evil. He didn't go back and talk about any of those things. He went back and said, listen, if you forgive men, then your Father in heaven will forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their trespasses, then your Father which is in heaven will not forgive you. Wow. That's tough, isn't it? He didn't go back and rehash any of these other things except this part in verse 12 where he said, Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. <clears throat> I got sort of mean last week and I got to pass it around. I don't know if I think I'm just picking on Peyton. <clears throat> forgive us. Forgive us. For, boys, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Here's something you need to think about. This word, forgive us of our debts, the word debt here, it comes from a Greek word that implies a debt so enormous it could not be repaid. I'm talking about bankruptcy. A debt so big that it cannot be repaid. Forgive me, Lord, of a debt so big that I can't repay it. Well, isn't that just salvation? Oh, no, no. Did you know that even today, if you have sinned, you've got a debt against you that's bigger than you can pay? I don't care if it's just one sin. If you, if you just got mad one time today, you've got a debt against you that's bigger than you can pay. If you just said one ugly word, or if you just told one little lie today, or whatever, if, if it's just one little thing, one, just one lustful thought that you've carried out in your life, you've got a debt against you that's bigger than you can pay. Mm. Forgive me, Lord, of a debt that's bigger than what I can pay. But this next word, debt, don't carry the same weight that that does. Greek scholars will tell us as, as, that studies the Greek language that one, one is a debt that you can't repay and the other one is a debt that you can pay, that someone else can pay because you forgive them as your Father forgives you. You say, Preacher, I, I just can't do that. I understand. I do. I've had things to come against me in my life that, that I just did not see how in this world that I could ever forgive someone. But then I think about how much God has forgiven me. And I'm able then. I may not can do it right now. I may not can do it today. It may take a week or two. But as I work on it and move in that, I can come to the place to where I can forgive them of that. You say, how do I know when I have forgiven someone of a trespass against me? 
whenever you think about it, talk about it, or see that person, it don't upset you. Then you're beginning to move in that right direction. I can't do that. I just hate the sight of them. Well, listen, there's something wrong with your love. I, I hate to be the one to spoil your pity party, but if you can't forgive, there's something wrong. And he said that if you don't, God will not forgive you. That's in red letters in my Bible. I wish we had a way of showing red letters and putting it in red up here, but I don't guess we have that. They hadn't got that in this computer program yet, but that's okay. Take my word for it, it's in red. In Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18, in verse 21, Peter came to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how oft, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? And Jesus answered and said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Let me show you something here. I've read different accounts of this and some said, well, Peter said seven times because that's a number of completion and, and that, that everything's there and it's a number of God. and not, He said seven times. But you know, somehow or another, studying the life of Peter, you know, he was the guy that took the sword and cut the guy's ear off and he was always the first one to talk and the first one. Just, and just thinking about the life of Peter, somehow or another, I think Peter might have been like a lot of us. Lord, how many times did I forgive him? Seven times, and then after seven, can I beat the snot out of them? I believe that was Peter's motive now, because aren't we that way? I just, I mean, just think about it. Who's going to count 470 times? That's 70 times seven. Who's going to count 470 times? And then when that 471st instant comes up, bang! You know, I believe if you forgive somebody 470 times, by the time you get to that, you have forgiven. Now, we don't have to do it that many times. We don't have to follow it. Let me tell you, show you where that comes. See, this in, in the Greek language, this actually means 77-fold. That's what it means, 77-fold. And that term is only found one other time in the Bible, and that's in Genesis chapter 6, or chapter 4, rather, for Lamech and, and, and He's one of the descendants of Cain, the bad blood. And he said this, and, and, and Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech. For I have slain a man to my wound and a young man to my hurt. Now, we don't know what he did to Lamech. He might have just said something about him. I don't know. And a young man to my hurt. Somebody had their whole life before them, and sometimes whenever we hate and don't forgive and we talk and all that, we can destroy somebody's life that they got coming before them. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, and that's what God said whenever he, Cain killed Abel and God put the mark on him and said anybody that, that kills Cain will be avenged sevenfold. And he said if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold are seventy times seven. Now he's talking about a revenge here and this is what where we get when we get Carnal, carnal-minded meatheads. 
carnal flesh. Okay? <laughs> Buddy, if they do that, I've got it laid up for them. They get it. They'll get it. And that was and, and, and in, in Israel that became a way that somebody would announce retribution on somebody by saying, You see what they done? Man, they don't understand what kind of stuff they're gonna suffer at my hand because of what they did. So I told a lie on me, I'm gonna tell a whole bunch of lies on them, I'm gonna run them down. See, they really held on to eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but whenever they would go after that eye, they wanted to decapitate. And that's what he's talking about here. But Jesus said, now look here, you know how this has always been said? Peter, you're concerned with seven times. Look, he said, here's what you've got to do. When somebody offends you, when somebody hurts your feelings and somebody comes against you, what you've got to be willing to do is say to them, you've done this, but I want you to know I'm giving you all the grace I possibly can because God has given me that same kind of grace. I'm not going to fight you back. I'm not going to run around and talk about you. I'm, not, I'm just going to love you. I'm going to love you and love you and love you and love you. Why? Because Jesus loves me that exact same way. Mm. You say, preacher, we're just, we're just human beings. We, you know, we've bought that lie too long. We are here on this earth, and we're in a human body. But we're going to have to quit using the excuse, I'm just a human being. And God knows. Yeah, God knows. That's the reason He's given us His Word and given us His Spirit and given us something to grow by and go by so that we have the ability to do the things that He says to do. You mean I'm not supposed to defend myself? I'm going to tell you something. That's something you're going to have to figure out and put in line with what He said in His Word. I believe there comes a defending time. You mess with my wife, we're at home, I'm going to defend her. It's just me, then we may talk if we can. You heard about the, the, the guy in Tennessee. I don't know if all of y'all heard that complete story or not because it came out that he was armed and he held these two men down. The police got there. I heard an interview with him last night. That's not what happened. His neighbor called and said that these, these two escaped guys is coming across the field. He looked out and he said he saw them coming. And he stood there and he said, I prayed to Jesus like I've never prayed before, the wisdom of what to do. He said, i got my daughter, and we've got an automobile. And he said, here they come. And he said, we eased down the road, and these two men came out in the road, didn't have their shirts on, they was waving them. He said that his automobile looked like a police cruiser as far as the make and model go. They was waving their shirt, and he said he put it in reverse and started backing up. And he backed up into his driveway, and these two men came and laid down in his driveway. He had a gun, but he never pulled it. These two men laid down in the driveway. He called 911. The two men got up in a minute, went to a water faucet, and got them some water, and came back and laid down in the driveway again and waited for the law to come and get them. These two had killed guards in Georgia, in prison for murder. And he said, if you don't think the name of Jesus can overcome every situation, he said, I'm telling you it can. Now, we could, he could have pulled down there and got his shot to escape God. Bang, bang, bang. You know, you're not going to mess with my family. But he trusted Jesus. And Jesus took care of him. 
And you know, we, we need to learn from that kind of a story. Unforgiveness results in mental pain. On down in this same chapter, Jesus said, he said, here's what it's like. He said, a, a king began to call those that owed him in. And he called in one that had ten, that owed him 10,000 talents. A little margin, a little note in the margin of my Bible says that, that uh, a talent in that day was 750 ounces of silver. So you imagine he owed him 10,000. That's, that's a whole lot of silver, isn't it? And he told him, he said, I can't pay it. I can't pay it. And the king forgave him all the debt. He went out and he found another servant that owed him a hundred pence. A pence is a penny was a day's wages. This guy owed him a hundred days. And he took him and he put him in prison. And when, the, when they went and told the king what was going on, the king had this first servant come back and said, Look, I forgave you this enormous debt. Should you not have done the same with your fellow man, him. And he said, take him and put him in the prison and bind him over to the tormentors. The tormentors. So many people have, have problems and they won't forgive and, and, and problems come upon them, depression and, and things of this nature because of unforgiveness just, just built up in their life and, and they, they won't turn it loose. And it causes so much torment. That's the reason somebody that you, that you won't forgive and they've done you wrong and you won't forgive them and you, you go to Walmart or Kroger's and you're walking down the aisle and you see them through that aisle, you'll turn around and go back. And don't shout me down because I'm preaching good because we all know how this is. You see their name on your cell phone and you just reject the call. Many ways. Why? Because it torments you. It torments you. Uh, and when you get in that kind of a situation, strife begins to set in. Strife. In, in James chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, listen to what he said about this. But if you have bitter envying and strife, that's unforgiveness in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish, for where envying and strife is. There is confusion in every evil work. A life just full of turmoil. I see that all the time. And it goes back to the point that people won't forgive, that they won't forgive somebody else. Why? Because they don't love as Jesus loved us. And I'm talking about Christian people that won't forgive. They just won't let it go. They won't release it so it can, cannot be there any longer. And it begins to develop a root of bitterness in them. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. You don't have that one, do you, Bo? All right, hold on. I'll just turn to it and read it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. See, Hebrews comes before James, right? right. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Wow. You see, whenever I, whenever I hold on to unforgiveness, it spreads out from me. And it begins to affect people around me in different ways. So it's important that I forgive. See, unforgiveness, not only that, but unforgiveness keeps faith from working. 
We quote a lot of times Mark 11, 23, about moving the mountain. We believe in our heart and speak it with our mouth, and then the mountain will go. We'll have what we say. The next verse says then that whatever you ask in prayer, believe and you shall receive. But then verse 25 is one we hardly ever get to. It says that when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught or anything against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And listen to this warning again. Because see, unforgiveness hinders forgiveness for coming to us. Because the next verse in verse 26 says, But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Until we forgive, we're the prisoners of the one who has offended us. They hold us hostage, so to speak. Here's another thing about forgiveness. Love and forgiveness together. And forgiveness, you don't keep score. God don't keep score. See, when we sin and seek forgiveness from God, He chooses not to remember it against us. He chooses not. God don't forget. You know, if God were to forget everything that I've done for the last uh, 48 years, or let's say for the last 69 years, He would have forgot 69 years out of my life. God don't forget. He chooses not to remember. There's no sea of God's forgetfulness. We've labeled it that. Tradition has. They write songs about it, the, the sea of God's forgiveness. There's no such thing. There's no such place as God's forgetfulness. But there's a place that God says, I put it behind my back into the depths of sea, never to be remembered against you again. Ain't that the same as forgiving? Forgetting? No, no. Forgiving, forgetting, I'll get it right. Forgetting can be an involuntary act. You just forget. Seeking or, or not remembering is an absolute definite act that I choose to do. In, in uh, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, he said, I, even I am the he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. In Malachi 7, 19, or Micah 7, 19, he will turn again, he will not... He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Never to be remembered against us again. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about love. And in the New Living Translation, it says that love keeps no record of wrongs done. The Message Bible says that love don't keep score when others don't do it right. So how can we come to that point? By allowing the love of Jesus to be big enough. Understanding this, that he died for us when we were at our worst. Three men were destined for a cross. Two thieves, three thieves, ended up being one of them named Barabbas. Then they brought Jesus in, so four men's destined for a cross. But the crowd said, I want Barabbas. And here sits Barabbas in his cell, knowing that it ain't going to be long until somebody's going to lead him to a cross. And he hears some steps coming down the hallway. And the key in the door, and they open it up. And they step in and say, Barabbas, you're free. Jesus is dying for you. And he's still doing it today. He's not dying today. But the same words going out, he died for you. He loves you. 
He forgave you. Now we want to walk in that love and we want to forgive others. Y'all stand with me this morning. And as we...